Welcome to another episode of the Leaders in Education podcast, the official podcast for the Charlevoix-Emmett Intermediate School District, featuring voices in education. My name is Mike Haynes, and I'm the Director of Instructional Services at the Charlevoix-Emmett Intermediate School District. I'm joined today by Alicia Schleyhuber, Behavioral Health Coordinator for the Charlevoix-Emmett Intermediate School District, and Scott Hutchins, School Behavioral Health Unit Supervisor for the Michigan Department of Education. Scott and Alicia, thank you for joining me for this episode. Thanks for having us. So, Thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah, so Scott, I'd like to start by asking you if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your work and uh, really what you're doing to support student behavioral and mental health in our state. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again for having me. It's really an honor and pleasure to be here with both of you. Um, so I've been with the Department of Ed since uh, February 2020. Okay. Prior to that, I served as a public school administrator for 17 years and a classroom teacher for three. Um, I started out as a school mental health and Medicaid consultant at the at Department of Ed. And I was primarily responsible mm. for providing technical assistance to ISDs on how to use 31N funds to increase the number of licensed behavioral health professionals mm -hmm. um, and expand mental health and related services to general education students. But as a result of the unprecedented funding from the legislators and the governor's office for schools to improve the safety and mental health of students and staff, in late June, I was uh, privileged enough to uh, be named the supervisor of a new brand new unit, school behavioral health unit within the Office of Health and Nutrition Services. Um, as I said, been a supervisor of that unit since the end of June. I'm really excited about that work. And, and Mike, I would just share that one of our top priorities is to produce a comprehensive statewide framework for how schools can provide sustainable behavioral health services to improve outcomes for all students. And we can't wait to see that. Uh, first of all, congratulations, Scott, on your uh, position, your promotion. Um, and, and, and I know we're going to probably reference uh, 31N funds a couple times in our conversation. So I wonder if you would just take a second for our listeners who aren't familiar with 31N, what that is, just talk about what that is. Yeah, uh, great point. Um, so 31N funds are funds directly allocated to intermediate school districts to increase the number of licensed behavioral health providers. Um, that So basically the goal mm -hmm. is to expand the mental health and related services to students that don't already have those services in either an individualized educational program or an individualized family service plan. So um, for students that don't have an IEP or an IFSP that includes social work services, mm -hmm. we now can have any student, even again, without an IEP that demonstrates a need um, they can now get those behavioral health services directly in schools because of this funding. Great. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. And, you know, I think we all would agree that uh, the timing is ideal to have those those funds available uh, thanks to our legislature and Department of Education. So appreciate uh, you clarifying that for us. Another question for Scott. Uh, so, so what are some common signs or red flags that educators and parents should be aware of when it comes to student behavioral health issues? And how do those differ from typical developmental challenges or more, uh, how do you differentiate between developmental challenges and more serious concerns? Sure, that's a, that's a really good question. I think, you know, you start thinking of some of the obvious things, you know, students are showing symptoms of, you know, sadness, hopelessness, mm -hmm. um, withdraw. Um, a lot of times you'll see them withdraw from like friends and activities, things that they typically enjoy doing. Um, you know, extreme mood changes, highs and lows. Those are those outward um, behaviors that we see a lot of times. But right. I would say we need to look more at those subtle signs. So like things like low energy, you know, students complaining about having problems sleeping or significant tiredness, maybe even, you know, being more confused or mm. 
having a reduced ability to concentrate and then even sometimes manifest with like real excessive fears or worries or extreme feelings of guilt it can definitely be hard to tell if these are typical development challenges or even more serious concerns so i'd say it's important to keep in mind that mental health disorders are treatable and so when young people are connected to the right resources and supports they can live happy successful lives with managing their symptoms so my, my biggest advice is I'd say trust your instincts. You know, if you think a young person needs help, talk to them directly, let them know you notice some of those changes and you want to help. And then consider talking to a mental health professional or someone that you trust with knowledge about your concerns. That a great point about subtle changes or uh, differences, because again, a lot of folks, you know, you know, wouldn't notice those things, but obviously parents or teachers who are spending you know, six hours a day, seven hours a day with students uh, might pick up on those things. So thank you for clarifying that. A question for Alicia. So you spent the last couple months talking with principals, counselors, social workers. What are some of the common themes that you're seeing? Sure, thank you for that question. Yes, we've been going on a listening tour um, to the local school districts in our ISD to find out what some of the needs and barriers are that exist in Yes, in terms of the common themes that have been coming out in the, these conversations, I would say anxiety and depression mm -hmm. rise to the top. Uh, yeah. Academic stress, there's, actually, there's also social media concerns and how that's impacting kids. And a real big one is behavior, mm -hmm. behavior um, concerns, which obviously that's kind of a symptom of other problems a lot of the time. And even though it's hard to <laughs> say this still uh, three years later, but um, schools are still encountering the ripple effects uh, from the pandemic and right. how that's impacted students' mental health. And as a result, um, teachers and staff have been feeling, have feeling it themselves in, in terms of stress and, and um, dealing with the pandemic and how that's impacted their students. So true. I'm, and I'm glad that you mentioned uh, that principals and counselors have surface behavioral concerns and in the context that, you know, behavior is really communication. There's something else going on uh, inside students' minds uh, that may be causing some of those behaviors. So uh, that advice, as well as Scott's earlier advice about looking for subtle changes is, is gonna be great, I think. Uh, another question for Scott, so, as you know, studies have indicated that a substantial, more than half, or, or more, uh, one half, uh, number of students have experienced some kind of trauma or have symptoms of anxiety. What do you believe to be the root cause and how do those challenges affect their academic performance? Yeah, it's another great question. Um, you know, a lot of the research on trauma is tied to um, adverse childhood experiences or mm -hmm. ACEs. Um, so, you know, things like neglect, abuse, um, experiencing or witnessing violence, uh, having a family member attempt or die by suicide, and substance use are some of the, um, the ACEs that typically we see. And there's actually a collaborative called the Michigan Adverse Childhood Experiences Collaborative, mm -hmm. or MyACE. Um, and they've adopted a collective impact model um, with a goal to prevent the occurrence of ACEs and build resilience in Michigan's most vulnerable children, youth, and families. And I'll, I highlight that because I, I think it's great that we've got uh, an organization that's looking at something holistically statewide mm -hmm. to prevent these ACEs and prevent this trauma because it is preventable. And a lot of people don't realize that. 
Um, but, but it takes a lot of work. And so that's why, again, they're, they're following that collective impact model um, and maintaining those cross-sector relationships and collaborative networks across the state. Um, you know, you asked about what, what some of the challenges of academic performance, you know, mm -hmm. some of the things we see, low reading achievement, low motivation and concentration and focus. Obviously, school attendance, a lot of times, um, if students are dealing with a behavioral health or mental health issue, um, they, they, they are likely to be chronically absent. Um, and then it can affect overall intelligence. Those are just right. some of the things by, that are affected by exposure to trauma. So, so students are definitely less likely to achieve their full potential when they're experiencing trauma. So again, that's why I wanted to highlight that My ACE initiative, because I think that statewide approach, again, that's what we're looking at at the Department of Ed in terms of a comprehensive school mental health system, and then partnering with these other organizations that are also looking at statewide solutions. We know that one size isn't gonna fit all for all communities, but if we can help, you know, uh, guide people to the right directions mm -hmm. and, and maybe not force them to go down, you know, dozens of rabbit holes to find a solution, but maybe only find one or two rabbit holes and from there get connected to other resources, I think that's a critical next step. Great, thank you. I'm glad that you mentioned ACEs, ACEs or Adverse Childhood Experiences. Is another, that's another acronym that uh, we educators throw out there periodically. So thank you for surfacing that. It's exciting to hear what's happening statewide. And um, yeah, thank you for your response. It does make sense, even as adults, if, if um, you know, we're managing something, uh, you know, something's on our mind, even uh, certainly dealing with, uh, if we're dealing with mental or behavioral issues, it's hard to focus as adults. So it has to be even more so as a student. So what are some ways, Scott, that you've seen schools address those concerns and promote positive student mental health within schools? Yeah, I'm um, really excited, with, you know, as I mentioned before, with those 31N funds, um, that's funny for intermediate school districts, I said that had behavioral health providers. We've mm -hmm. also seen a significant investment, um, section 31AA, 31AA is funds for intermediate school districts and local districts um, to improve or maintain the mental health of students or staff. So because of that unprecedented funding, we've seen a lot of great things and a lot of success. And I think the, the, the ones that I've seen that have had the, the highest level of success are the ones that are following those multi-tiered systems of support or another acronym, Mike, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they have thousands of them probably within <laughs> schools, but MTSS or multi-tiered systems of support um, and it, what it does is it integrates data and instruction to maximize student achievement and support students across the board. So their social, emotional, behavioral needs, but it's from a strength-based perspective or a strength-based lens. So, so when you're looking at, you know, different tiers of support at tier one, you've got schools implementing school-wide interventions mm -hmm. that, you know, ensure safe and welcoming environments, but then to that next level, because we've seen this funding, because tier one interventions are what we typically have seen in schools before the funding. So mm -hmm. again, you know, things to build culture, things to, to make students feel safe and welcome when they enter schools. But because of these extra funds, we've been able to take it to the next level for those students that show they need additional support. So going beyond tier one and looking at when students are identified as needing that additional support, we can now provide behavioral health services directly in schools and remove those barriers to treatment like transportation, mm -hmm. insurance, or other out-of-pocket costs. 
So that's probably, to me, what I've seen is the biggest game changer with these funds is being able to meet their needs as students right there at schools and actually helping to normalize the process of seeking behavioral health care. You know, schools, again, traditionally, um, you know, you think back to where they started, reading, writing, and arithmetic, you know, the three R's, so to speak. And so now that we're able to actually start adding health services in schools and, and really, you know, get students connected and families connected to the services they need right there at school. But then if that they're not available at school, again, mm -hmm. because of this funding and because of other great things that we've seen, schools that have those strong relationships with their community partners can then direct students and their families to services and resources that are not available within the school and do those warm handoffs. So we're really looking at, you know, meeting the needs of all students where they're at. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, we really are uh, at an ideal time right now. To, we have this culmination of, or coming together of uh, funding from our state and local organizations. And so it seems like it's all hands on deck uh, around mm -hmm. mental health. So. Uh, it's exciting uh, from our perspective at the ISD to see all the resources that are available and the kind of things that Alicia is going to be putting uh, together for everyone. Um, so research does tell us that you know early identification, intervention, access to mental health support is is crucial for helping students as well as adults. Uh, yet in a lot of areas of our state, everywhere, uh, <laughs> there's a lack of mental health services available. How do you envision? our state and even our local communities overcoming what has been termed mental health deserts? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, it kind of feels weird to say it, but I mean, there were definitely some positives that came out of the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, you know, I mentioned about the unprecedented support from the mm -hmm. legislators, governors. So to add funding, again, mentioned 31N and 31AA for schools to improve the amount of health of students and staff. And um, also that funding can be used for safety as well. Um, because the legislators, they recognized, you know, how the pandemic mm -hmm. exacerbated the mental health needs of our students and our staff. You know, last year alone with section 31N, 31AA, and, and then 31O funds that I haven't talked about, um, which again is funding for adding behavioral health providers. Mm -hmm. But just from those funds, 31N and 31O, schools across Michigan were able to hire a contract over 1,000 behavioral health professionals to provide services directly in schools. That's incredible. Again, think back five years ago, that number was zero, right? right? The only services when it came to behavioral health um, were students that had, again, either an individualized educational program or an individualized family service plan. So an IEP or an IFSP. Fast forward, you know, here we are in 2023. Now we've got, again, over 1,000 helping professionals that can work with students mm -hmm do not have to have an IEP or an IFSP. They just have to demonstrate a need. And now that we've got these, um, you know, 1,000 plus helping professionals in schools, that's one way that we're definitely overcoming that mental health sure. desert. You know, another thing, the pandemic had also cast a light on how we can reduce barriers to services by providing services through telehealth. So, you know, we have over 200, um, excuse me, in addition to telehealth, um, which allows, again, you know, a student to, um, either receive those services at school or at home, you know, through a computer or a tablet or a phone, whatever happens to be. Um, again, we're reducing those barriers that way. But we also have over 250 school-based health centers um, that are staffed with at least one behavioral health provider in Michigan. Um, so, and in terms of like the next steps, when you ask me about, you know, what do I envision for our state? To me, I envision our state 
continue to invest in ways to provide more health services directly in schools and schools partnering with their community resources to expand those services that aren't available at the school already. You know, Scott, with you at the helm, I have a, a good feeling that that's going to happen. And, uh, and working with folks like us here at the ISD and all the ISDs, what I hear you saying is that this, there's some reason for hope. Absolutely. Right? Uh, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, the positives. We hate to keep using COVID because it's becoming cliche or it became cliche a while ago. But, you know, another positive outcome that I think you're sort of touching on, too, is just normalizing students asking for help. That, that there's everybody, there's enough folks now that are recognizing that behavioral, mental health, and wellness are important and indeed something everybody at some point has experienced or knows somebody who's experienced. So um, taking away the, you know, the, the fear of asking for help uh, seems like a positive. Couldn't agree more, Mike. So Alicia, uh, what are some of the ways that you envision bridging some of the gaps that we've talked about in our region of Northern Michigan? Yes, well, as a part of going out and talking to the school districts, one of the things that has come out is a real need to, to do screening in the school. Some of the schools are doing it. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the SSIS, which is an, uh, an assessment, it's short and sweet, and the students take it and the teachers can take it um, in terms of, in, in for each student. And it looks at their, how they are social emotionally, but also it brings out if there are any potential emotional behavior concerns. Right. And I think that that's significant because there could be those students that kind of fly under the radar and mm -hmm. then maybe the, the egregious behaviors aren't, you know, the blatant behaviors aren't there, right. but they're under the radar. So maybe looking at doing some prevention with some screening tools. Um, a lot of districts are now doing social, social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. They have curriculums that they're implementing in the classrooms to help teach students some of these um, skills with regulation and behavior. Uh, also seeking out grant opportunities. Um, you know, there are different organizations locally and in the community that, that we might be able to tap into. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at where some gaps may be, maybe culturally. So making sure some of the stuff is available to maybe some of our students that um, English is not their first language. And really, I think you spoke a little bit about the stigma, but getting youth involved, I think it, it's gonna, it's a great opportunity to get students um, on board with, with some kind of a campaign to reduce stigma and normalize mm -hmm. um, seeking help. And so that, yeah, that's kind of some ways that, that I'm thinking so far, but, um, there's definitely some work ahead in terms of bridging these gaps, but um, we definitely have some resources that we can tap into. Each each response that both you, Alicia, and Scott have shared, I, I keep I keep thinking in my head we could really unpack each every response and, and delve into uh, this conversation for hours. So I I look forward to having some subsequent conversations to dig a little deeper. Um, 
This question is for both you, Alicia, and Scott. Uh, so people listening to this episode could be teachers, administrators, parents, community leaders, board members, really anybody. What are, what are three things that you'd recommend these stakeholders keep in mind as we work collectively to support youth mental health? Well, first, uh, with, with any problem that needs to be solved, I, I think of it like building a house. We have to start with construction and the foundation mm. must be laid. Great and point. I look at that foundation as systems. So creating systems of support and resources that will support students, families, and educators as we tackle the impact of mental health in schools. And I'm looking to connect those dots between mental health screening tools and the social emotional learning curriculums and PBIS and direct mental health services, trying to bring all those pieces of the puzzle together. Um, next, it's really critical to always have your trauma presume lens on. I know a lot of our educators have been through training um, and are aware of it, but you know, maybe they're there will be opportunities for refresher courses in the future, or just to remember in the heat of the moment to not mm -hmm. to forget about having that lens on. And lastly, um, this is something just to consider, is as we talk about prevention, um, I actually think of the roots of mental health and mm -hmm. how a child's mental health develops. So it really goes back to prenatal stage of development. Um, it, it's important to address that mental health um, and the needs of our students and families and educational programs that are available to families and pregnant mothers. Um, there are those resources with our um, early childhood program here at the ISD and there's even in, out in the community, um, there are local um, infant mm -hmm. mental health specialists and to, they help educate parents um, and families on some of these strategies and tools that really make a difference in the mental health of children and that um, especially in this day and age of cell phone addiction and social media which like you said right. you go down a rabbit hole on that one but <laughs> um, going back to the basics back to the roots, um, which is prenatal and mm -hmm. infant mental health. So really what you're saying is, you know, every stakeholder having access or having a strong foundation, systems in place, and then tools and training and awareness uh, for folks, right? Yes. Um, and I also like that you mentioned that trauma presumed that, that the rule of thumb today is that we presume that because, as I said earlier, the research is saying that more than half the students in any classroom, any space, are, are man dealing with something, whether it's trauma, anxiety, uh, you know, some kind of a cognitive challenge. Um, so that trauma presumed lens is a critical one to hang our hat on. Scott, what are your thoughts on those? What are the things that you think uh, stakeholders should keep in mind? Yeah, um, I think Alicia makes a great point um, when she talked about the foundation and, and, you know, the different pieces of a puzzle together. Uh, for me, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but I, I think of something very similar when it comes to supporting, you know, you know youth mental health and, and that it takes a whole village, you know, um, to provide a safe and healthy environment 
we really do need everyone working together. We need that foundation. We need the different pieces of the puzzle to come together um, so that children have the resources they need to develop and flourish. You know, when something mm -hmm. happens to disrupt the child's progress, we need the adults. We need the helping professionals. We need the different people involved to help get that child and that family connected to the right health. Um, you know, second, for me, it comes to mind, I think we, we got to continue to look for innovative strategies that focus on prevention. You know, you just mentioned that piece, and I mentioned it earlier with the MyAce initiative. Mm -hmm. um, I think innovative strategies that focus on prevention so we can stop mental health problems before they start. You know, um, Alicia mentioned the piece about the prenatal stage of development. So to me, I think, again, continuing to look for those innovative strategies that focus on prevention is key. You know, in one example, as far as prevention is breaking the stigma. We talked about that a little bit earlier, breaking mm -hmm. the stigma about mental health, making conversations just like the three of us are having right now, part of the norm, right? right. So teaching students at a young age about emotions and good mental health and, and how to stay mentally well. And then, you know, and it's not just about you. We've talked about the impact that's had on our adults too. So if all of us get into a a comfort zone where it's 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 okay not to be okay mm -hmm. and and we can just like I said the three of us are doing right now we can talk about it and and if something feels a little bit off to be able to go to somebody that you trust and not feel you're going to be judged or shamed or a young person doesn't have to worry about it being posted on social media I think that's <laughs> absolutely huge and, and again it's part of that prevention that we can look at um, and then lastly, I, I think, you know, I'll just put it simply, get involved. And, and what I mean by that is if you're a parent or you're a caregiver, um, you know, be intentional about creating a safe and positive home environment. Listen, respect your child's feelings. If you're a coworker, um, ask your employer about what mental health awareness training. And, and for all employees, you know, I, I think we, we're getting a little bit better about um, getting training for teachers and administrators, but you know who's just also as much as important is the first person that child sees in the morning, and a lot right. of times is a bus driver, or if they're going in the cafeteria for breakfast. So we need to make sure, are we really focusing on all employees? You know, because I feel totally that when we know better, we do better. Absolutely. You know, and then I guess I would just kind of close with, you know, I mentioned earlier, trust your instinct, you know, if you think, mm -hmm someone is struggling with a mental health issue or even yourself, um, you know, you're worried about your own mental health, take action, you know? And that, that kind of brings me to my last point about the importance of taking care of yourself. You know, again, I, I'll throw out another cliche about, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. <laughs> so, you know, or if you've ever been on an airplane, you've heard them talk about an emergency, what do they say? They say, in the event of emergency, you put your own oxygen right. mask on first before you help someone else. I really appreciate the, the where you landed there, Scott, and, I, and Alicia was touching base, touching uh, that a bit earlier. Uh, but really, you know, if we started talking about students, and our focus, obviously, in our roles is student wellness. Uh, but what you just acknowledged is, you know, all the adults that students encounter um, need to also understand their wellness and 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 demonstrate that in order to be able to help students. So. Um, I think earlier, even Scott, you mentioned student or staff wellness is yep. contended in some of the 
some of the recent legislation. So that is that is hopeful. So I've been talking with Scott Hutchins, School Behavioral Health Supervisor for the Michigan Department of Education, and Alicia Schleheber, SHARM ISD Behavioral Health Coordinator about behavioral health. Um, I predict, uh, Scott and Alicia, that we're going to have several conversations like this, and I, I look forward to uh, you know diving into some of the things that we, we left hanging there uh, in the last few minutes. So Scott, Alicia, uh, thank you for having this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Leaders in Education podcast. Please check out our archive for past episodes. And remember, the great thing about learning is that you never have to stop.